This is an ABC podcast. My two daughters, they have quite different personalities. The elder one is very quiet, doesn't volunteer much information. Whereas the younger child, in comparison, is quite chatty. And sometimes I think, oh, you know, we need to slow down here. But, you know. (laughs) I've got a daughter and she's nine years old. Uh, She comes alive when she dances, especially when she was younger, was the most free when I saw her dance. And so that when she was in her body, I thought, what an amazing, fantastic human. She loves makeup and, and I, I don't, I'm not into makeup or high heels or fashion or anything like that. So I, I don't know where she's got it from, but she just wants to wear makeup all the time, even though she's only eight. What is life like for our girls today? Sure, we live in a world where our girl can be a Kardashian or a Sam Kerr or a Jacinda Ardern, but our girls are also dealing with soaring rates of anxiety. They're self-harming and alarming numbers and their sexualization is still out of hand. How can we help our girls to grow up to be happy, healthy, respectful, kind, empowered, safe and strong? I'm Maggie Dent, and this is Parental As Anything. We're coming to the end of Season 1 of Parental As Anything. And for our last two episodes, I want to explore the different approaches to raising awesome girls and awesome boys. So... Let's start with our girls. Steve Bedoff is one of the world's best-known parenting authors and educators and has been an amazing mentor to me, I have to say, over the years. So, Steve, tell me, what has changed in the raising of girls in the last decade or so? Girlhood now is really different to what it was when we were kids. It's different in some good ways. And it's different in some really awful ways. For example, we've all heard about the Me Too movement where women are speaking up about being sexually harassed at work. But that's a picnic compared with what girls in school have to go through. They get sexually harassed every day. And it's just something that's almost normal to them. Um, Social media is another. Another one is, of course, the pace of life. And that we have sped up our lives to such a degree that almost everyone has a background level of anxiety now. And it shows up in girls because girls are especially sensitive to social things around them. So girls are the ones who are showing up with, you know, self-harm and things like that and needing to be on anxiety medication. Whereas boys, it comes out, as, as you know, Maggie, as a boy expert, it comes out in uh, violence or, or breaking the law or taking risks. But girls tend to implode. So we have this horrible experience of finding our daughters, you know, as many people have told me, you know, finding them on the bathroom floor in the middle of the night just sobbing in a, in a heap. It's a terrible, terrible thing to see. And so we wanting to get the word out, you have to slow down your lives to give kids a chance of having good mental health. What do parents really need to know about the first eight years for our girls? I know that we've got this. Absolutely. If you can slow down and give them a little more time and love and, yep, everyone's ultimate dream. But what about those first eight years? Is there some priorities that parents can start focusing on? 
Yeah. Now, zero to two is very much learning to love and be loved. And that's all you have to worry about. Oh, what I say is if you see the words early and learning in the same place, run a mile. <laughs> because these ideas of pressure and, and achievement, that's not what it's about. Then from two to five, they now feel quite secure and they feel terrific and they start looking outwards. They want to wander off and explore. And this is the age when we discriminate between the genders. We ex encourage boys to climb trees and get muddy. But little girls, it starts to be, oh, you know, don't tear your dress, you know, and things like that. We were better at this 20 years ago. 20 years ago, girls wore denim overalls and elastic-sided boots and they, and they played in the mud and they didn't do their hair. And now it's kind of this... There's the other two words I think should never be together, which is kids and fashion. <laughs> and so don't, at least with your little girls in that two mm -hmm, to five mm -hmm. age group, keep clothes out of it. And then five to 10 is, of course, primary school. And this is where it comes into the social issues and the, and the friendship issues. And so that's, that's how we break it up. I have to laugh because my boys say, oh, you know when mum's been, don't you? Because the kids have, the girls have got nuts and seeds in their pocket when they come poo. back and they're that's a bit right, dirty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, yes, yes, absolutely. This next part are you talking about the socialisation. We know that we, we have to touch on this one because this comes up so often in conversations with early childhood educators and parents. It's about the meanness among girls and it's always been around, let's be honest, but it seems to have got a little bit nastier. The main guidance for a, for a mum or a dad with friendship is that your daughter will come home from school in the primary years like a hundred times with friendship angst and she'll come to you, you know, in the kitchen at the busiest possible time of the night or whenever it is and she'll sort of say, mum, you know, dad... And you'll sort of just look around at her and she'll be really, you know, looking really upset or worried. And, and she'll say, something's happened at school. You know, Marlene said this thing about Darlene at school. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and you just know, okay, here it comes. And the thing with talking to kids is their anxiety level will be through the roof. And yours is hopefully not quite that high. As they talk to you, and this is what the core principle of psychotherapy is that if there's a calm person and an upset person and they talk, the upset person will gradually come down and down and down till they calm down as well. And so our job as a parent is to be less anxious than our children. You don't give any advice and you don't um, try and fix it. You just say, look, tell me all about it. And how did you feel then? And, and in discussing it with your, your child, they'll get a bit of a handle on it. It might take 10 minutes, you know, it might take 20 minutes. It might take coming back to it at bedtime. But when they go back to school the next day, they've just moved out a little bit forwards because this is what it's all about. You know, <laughs> primary school, you know, you, you learn your maths and you learn your STEM and your social science and, and you learn to get along with other people. I think so. And this is not all girls and not all boys, but a significant number of girls, when they get really upset with something, we know that it <laughs> fires up the limbic brain and then the word centre. So the need for them to talk is often venting, where they actually really need to be able to kind of verbally process what's been upsetting them. And that's why a safe, you know, that safe person is is enormous. This is a really important step in helping them make sense 
of the argy-bargy of friendships, that it's not always going to be a wonderful, warm, fuzzy world, that sometimes people are going to exclude us and sometimes unintentionally say things that can make us, you know, feel a bit yucky. So let's look at the roles of the people raising girls, Stephen. We know that mothers are fundamentally important in the raising of all of our children, but particularly for girls because they have been one, so they kind of get it. So how important are dads to daughters? Let me tell you a story, Maggie. I was in London and I was doing a day on raising daughters and in the afternoon I showed a, a DVD of some Australian girls talking about their dads. One of the girls was saying, oh, you know, dad was really great. I used to need lots of cuddles and I could always sit on his knee. And then her sister came on and said, well, I was a sports girl and dad always took me to sport and, you know, he was fantastic with that. As we finished the DVD and we turned on the lights, I looked out into tears all over the room and half of them were crying because they had dads who were just like that, Maggie. They were wonderful, caring dads, and they were remembering. And perhaps, of course, some of these were adult women, and so some of their dads were no longer alive. But the others were crying because that was exactly what they wanted. And in the 20th century, often dads, of course, they loved their daughters, but it just didn't come across. What the men in the room who were sitting alongside those women was, was suddenly aware of in this most powerful way was how much dads matter. Because a lot of dads think, oh, well, you know, I, I pay the bills and I keep a roof on over people's heads. But dads really, really matter to daughters. They're the first male that they have much to do with and they'll base all their future male relationships on that expectations that they get from their dad unless they have lots of therapy or something to undo it. And so a big part of my campaign around the world is to let, let dads know it's not hard. You just have to make sure your daughter knows how special she is to you. If she knows that, she will have this foundation of her mental health as she goes out into the world. My dad thinks I'm great. I was a very lucky um, young lass because my dad and I were good mates because I, he was a farmer, so I spent a lot of time with him. And I, he was old school, though, Steve, and I, he'd never, ever said to me that he loved me. But I remember one day we were going around the sheep and he pulled the car up and like turned the car off and turned to me because I was telling him something that I'd learnt at school. And he just turned and gave me his 110% attention as I finished my story. And I, in that moment, I knew my dad loved me from that point on. It's a huge message. And I know that lots and lots of dads are now waking up to this and stepping forward. Fortunately, it's, it's a beautiful time to be a dad for that reason. Let's talk about um, raising children possibly in same-sex relationships or as solo parents, because I can guarantee those out there now, um, solo mums who haven't got a dad are going, oh, can you reassure them? Yes. Well, one of the things that we know for sure is that for thousands of years, women have raised kids, boys and girls on their own and had them turn out really well. When I came back to live in Launceston, where I live now, this was the city where I was first a family therapist in the 1970s. Can imagine that, Maggie? <laughs> and so I meet people in the supermarket or in the, the movies who are my clients back then. And and a lot of my clients were single parents. And so I always say to them, you know, first of all, there's always this get the elephant in the room out of the way. I always say, you know, was it, was it any use, you know? Because <laughs> imagine having, having a psychologist who's 26, you know. And But the next thing is, you know, what, what did you learn from your single parent experience? What would you pass on to young mums today? And they always say the same things. They say, look, I had a boy and I made sure he knew what a good man looked like. 
or I had a girl and I made sure that her granddad took an interest in her. And, and we had friends that were men who I just encouraged them to have a bit of a part in her life. You know, certainly we men have got to step up for this and be uncles and, and be granddads and come into action more when we know perhaps a girl isn't getting a lot of praise or self-esteem. But there's there's plenty of ways to get that without having to marry the first chap who comes along. <laughs> In fact, I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> so if we talk about that need again... Um, for the village. The village means that sort of circle around us that our children interact and bounce among while their parents are probably at the centre of that. You put an enormous value on the role of the auntie, and I must admit I'm extremely thrilled about this because I reckon I'm a pretty good auntie, and I hold a lot of secrets (laughs) for uh, a lot of girls out there, and I'm never going to ever disclose them. Why is there such an importance on that role of auntie if you're raising girls? One of the things that we know is that, for example, there's something that every 12-year-old girl knows for sure. She doesn't want to turn out like her mum. <laughs> and, um, and this is sad. I'm not, I'm not taking any joy in this, Maggie. You may well laugh. But what it is, it's just a little, you know, you're just boosting off from the mothership. So there are phases, and every mother listening, there are phases when they don't want to listen to you. But they still need lots of help. And so and we now know, the research is very clear, aunties are a a pillar of mental health for girls. And it doesn't have to be a blood relation. It's just some people around about your mum's age, a bit younger, a bit older, who love you too, That because they're easier to talk to sometimes. If you have nieces, start around about the age of eight. Have them around to your house to, to sleep the night, perhaps when everyone else is off somewhere else. Have them over sometimes so that you build a bond with them. When they're in their teens, start taking them for lunch once a month and get in their face a little bit and so that and, and ask them oh, those questions that aunties ask, like, what do you really want your life to be about? And also they're often very savvy about men and boys. And so they'll talk sense to you about that, you know, that boy who's fantastic looking, but it'll just kill you with boredom if you get <laughs> hooked up with them. If we don't provide this, then what happens is the girls will default to the peer group. And I, and I think this is why social media gets a bit out of control, because the peer group is um, very ill-equipped for being supportive. And when when adolescent girls discuss with their peers their problems, they actually all get upset. So we just need a bit of a circuit breaker. I'd like to think the messaging was exactly the same for my daughter and my son, but I don't think you can ignore the world that we live in and the challenge of gender equality. But I want them to both respect each other, to get along and succeed together to make a positive change so that gender gap is shorter. I've had to make it up as I go because I grew up with three brothers. You know, I was fully under-equipped for a role with a daughter. She is quite emotional but just a joyful fantastic little human. Things were so smooth between us until she reached about 16 or 17, which I think I was expecting the hard times to hit a lot earlier than that. But when they did hit, they were bad. There was a big rift in our relationship that lasted 
know, one and a half to two years. And we're just on the other side of that now, which is such a beautiful place to be. And when I look back on our relationship, there's so much I, I wish I'd done differently. We just became grumpy housemates with each other. So I wish that I'd really put effort into having conversations with her about her life and, you know, what she was struggling with. Our girls seem to be experiencing anxiety at higher levels, particularly higher levels than boys. So my first question is, what do you think drives that? But also, do you think parental anxiety is adding to that as well? You said it seems to be a problem. It's, it's definitely a problem. One in, one in five girls in the Western world will spend some time in her teens on anxiety medication or depression medication. That means one in five girls is being at some stage diagnosed with, with clinical anxiety. This is a terrifying development and, and it shows in different ways. And one of those, of course, is self-harm. And about a half of all young people will do a little bit of self-harm because it's kind of like, see what it feels like and, and why is everyone doing this? But, but around about a third of girls will actually persist with some of that at some stages. These are attempts to manage anxiety and self-harming is, and it sounds incredibly strange, it's because of the way the chemicals work with it, it produces some endorphins and it's actually a, a way of reducing anxiety because it's having some pain which you can control and it takes your focus in from all of the things around you. Has it increased with the prevalence of self-harm imagery online? And I know there's some very scary closed groups for self-harmers that, that kind of encourage um, self-harmers to possibly get the best wound of the week. Yes, with all of these risk behaviours, um, everything right through from you know risky sexual behaviour, drinking, eating disorders, um, and self harm, they all have their own social media sites. So everything we human beings do, we're a herd animal. We look to other people for our sense of validation and what's normal, and and we just want to be affirmed, Maggie. And so if there isn't enough affirmation in your day to day life, you go looking for that. And so if there's a site that exists that is that is praising or, in a sense, the word is normalising, what we need to be saying is don't do this. I think the internet needs to be patrolled and, and those sites need to be shut down. The reason that kids are anxious, of course, is it's the world. It's, it's the barrage of images saying you're not thin enough, you're not smart enough. It's the pace of time. It's the, as we said, the family climate. And of course, there's a new thing, Maggie, which is that kids now know that we have a climate emergency going on, that the world and nature and, and even their chances of a, of a long and happy life are endangered. And so what I'm starting to, to point out to people is I think kids improve when they can be activists about something that upsets them, when they can do something about it. And so I think in the future, I think we're on the brink of a kind of another time like the 60s with the Vietnam War and, and the, all the horrors that were around that we confronted then, where kids are going to become not anxious and locked in their rooms. They're going to get very, very militant. I think young people are going to be protesting, going on strike, getting involved. And, and the wonderful thing about this is that the narcissism that kids got caught in with the internet, where it was all about looks, you know, it, it, they kind of got sucked into, you know, you got to look hot and you got to look amazing. 
that's going to kind of refocus and people say, look, this is crap, you know, this, the, world's, the world's in really bad trouble. And they'll start saying, look, let's value what we do instead of what we look like. And so I think pretty soon the, the, the positives of the internet where they link us up, get us good and angry and get us out there in the streets, I think that's going to be a whole new thing that might just save the mental health of, of our kids. Let's talk body image and let's, we've touched on a little bit and let's really explore how can today's parents protect their girls from the overt sexualisation. What I do with my audiences um, in my Raising Girls talks is I say, put your hand up if there's some aspect of your body that you're not happy with. And you could try this at home. Put your hand up and and um, my hands up. <laughs> and and what? Of course, you you know what you see. You see ninety ninety nine percent of the hands go up. And I say, can you see the problem that we've got? Because we've caught this disease too. Your daughter's going to come to you sooner or later, and she's going to say these words: "I hate my body." And you're going to say, don't say that, you know, you're beautiful, you're perfect. And of course, we, we should say that, that's important. But as everyone's listening is aware, it never cuts the mustard because they're thinking oh, that's, you know, you've got to say that because you're my mum. And so what we need, this is where role models come in. Do you want your daughter to be in the playground at school and maybe she's eight years old and some idiot boy runs up and says, you're fat. And what we want is for her to say, I love my body. Race you to the fence. <laughs> and she's given him one more chance. You know, maybe he's just an idiot and he wants to be friends. Um, that's, what, that's what it's about with the race you to the fence. <laughs> but the main message is that's what you wanted to say. I love my body. And the only way she's going to say that, it's because she's heard someone else say that. Maybe mum, but most likely an auntie, one of mum's friends who's a bit you know, unconventional and a bit gutsy, who said somewhere around at the time has said, I love my body. And your, your daughter has heard that and she's taken it in. Okay. So all of this stuff that we're talking about is, is actually now playing out online. So they're friends, they're role models, and they all follow people on Insta who are influencers and things. So when the boys are saying they're fat, it's, in, it's now on social media. So how can we help our girls manage that bombardment that's going in the opposite way to what mum and dad are saying at home. These things are what you could call dose-related, and it's not that it's not going to happen. It's the same with boys and pornography. It's going to happen. They're going to see stuff, but it's how much and whether they know what it is and what to do about it. And so we've got 70,000 mums of dads of daughters who are on a Facebook community that's called Steve Bidoff's Raising Girls because I'm not very imaginative with names. <laughs> and about a year ago, we put it out there. I said, what are you doing about social media? And some people came back. One was in Ireland, one was in the States, and one was just up the street from where I lived. And they said, we're putting our devices on the chargers in the kitchen. So at dinner time, at night time, everyone puts them on the charger and they don't pick them up till the next morning. Wow. Yeah. Now, when I, I responded on, the, on my social media and I, and I said, can you do that? You know, and, and they came back, they said, well, look, it's everyone. Mum and dad have got to do it as well. You know, it was a bit tough to start with, but she's a different girl. She sleeps all night. 
she sleeps soundly. She she wakes up cheerful. She's keen to go to school before she was dreading. Well, she's had 12 hours of safety, which was kind of what we had in the days before that, hasn't it? So, you know, no more threats come into her world from the time of dinner till breakfast. Mm. And you know what? They're still being able to access uh, online stuff before then. So you're not actually saying, no, you're never going to because this is their world. But what you've done is a boundary that also says, hey, listen, mum and dad are a bit more available too for a Milo later on tonight. Yes, and everyone starts to kind of slow down and they have conversations and, and play board games and all kinds of things can happen in that space. Then the most remarkable thing, we, a teenage girl came on the page. This had never happened before or since. If, if four years of this Facebook page being up and running, they had never, I'd never had a kid come on. And this girl said, I hope you don't mind. I'm, I'm 15. But I just wanted the parents to know this. My mum and dad did this and I was so grateful because I could never have done that for myself. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah, wasn't that lovely? Because this is how it is. They can't break out of that addiction and this is our job. And there are parents listening to this podcast who they thought their job was to be a friend to their child and to be eternally popular. And I think it's a thing that happens when we're very busy. We don't want any dramas and we, we just want it to be nice with our kids. We don't want to set any boundaries, but the fact is it's very, very important that sometimes that you, your child hates you for several days <laughs> and then you know you're doing your job. I mean, if they hate you all the time, there's a problem. But, but being unpopular for a couple of days, it probably means you're exactly on track. I think it's really important in the early stages of adolescence, particularly up to sort of 13, 14, 15, because I've spoken to teens now who are 16, 17, 18, saying they're actually taking themselves off some of those things because they've realised it's actually not been good for them. Mm. So we're going to jump into a hot button issue. Every parent out there who has a girl does not even want to put daughter and sex in the same sentence. However, we know that that's part of the natural development of adolescence. They become sexually aware and all of those things start happening. And we know that it's, it's not only scary, but the world has changed around how our kids find information about it. We want our girls and our boys to know what a healthy understanding of um, sexual intimacy is. And um, so let's just focus on our girls. How can we help them know this is okay, but also what's what's really not okay? And possibly sexting, you know, the first time you get a few messages from a boy might not be such a good idea. <laughs> yes. Well, we um, what I really um, encourage people to do is to, you know, even in primary school, from time to time, just ask your daughter, how do the boys treat you? What are the boys like at school and the way they talk to you? you, Do you like the way they talk or is it things that you don't like? And ask in a very casual way, not like a big grilling session. And they'll start to say, you know, well, I don't like this. And and some of this will really shock you. And you might want to start to say to her, you know, listen to your gut, listen to your heart. And if you don't feel comfortable, then don't do it. So is the goal of a parent to prevent them sending them or teach them how to say no to the request or do we just have to accept that, in actual fact, it's a reality growing up now for many? Because some of them have told me it's first base. Yes. That, well, that's right. And and the message has to be very, very clear. Your body belongs to you. 
and you choose. You know, young love is such a beautiful thing. It's such a special part of life and it's getting trampled. The boys have been schooled by pornography and porn is absolutely categorically wrong about almost every aspect of sexuality. You know, generally girls don't like being strangled. No, they don't slapped like, or don't choked. Like, no, or told, uh, verbally abused. Because otherwise they just think, you know, that's it's become the new sex education. And so we certainly restrict the age that kids have smartphones or have things online. A little bit older, we talk about it. But if it gets really bad, then I think we have to get people into schools telling the boys, you know, this is not how to treat girls. And as the kids get into their, you know, mid to late teens, they need to know there's good kids and there's absolute monsters. And and you have to suss out which is which. And sometimes it's the incidental conversations as we're going, as they're growing up, is that watching something on TV together, um, seeing a film and a scene going, that's that's really not okay. That's not that's not the man I want you to become and that's not how your father might be. And so I think it's not just getting to this age and going, please don't do this. I think it is really us as human beings being able to model it in our homes um, and having a conversation, which means they they don't just think we're doing it to stop them having fun. We actually want them, I hate to say this, but we do want them to enjoy their sexual experiences as they grow up. Yes. If parents have to tell kids, look, sex is, is really nice. <laughs> and, and, and when they get that, what's you know, called a sex positive message, um, then they know it. if it's not really nice, something's going wrong. No, and I really do think it's a big part of it. And I think um, I think our big message is that we can still, together with your wonderful guidance and the guidance of other wonderful people in our world, raise our girls to be not only awesome, um, strong, capable, and all those things I've mentioned before, but we can do it despite all of those other things that you've explored today. Well, it's been a wide-ranging chat, Maggie, and so I hope that's useful and help to people listening who are doing such a caring job of raising their daughters. Thank you so much. I want her to be kind and I want her to be brave and not attempt to do things because fear is stopping her. My hope for my daughter is to become a deeply caring person. Someone with a strong sense of emotional intelligence, to understand her own spirit as she goes through life. I don't want them to feel hindered by anything. I just want them to do whatever they want to do and just fly. Helping our girls be kids for as long as possible makes so much sense. Give your daughter the gift of a childhood. If she loves pretty dresses and playing with makeup, she can still wear her Elsa dress in the sandpit. And well before those tricky years of adolescence, make sure you've surrounded your beautiful girl with aunties and special lighthouses for her to confide in, hang out with and chat to about some of the things that she won't be able to talk to you about. Teach your daughter about authenticity and to respect herself and to expect and demand respect from other people. Remember, a girl can't be what she hasn't seen, Mum. What are you modelling for your girl? And next time on Parental as Anything, it's our final episode of the season. Woohoo! And it's all about raising boys to be good men. There are several things that I, I wish I'd known about raising boys or raising a son before I actually did it. How much they eat 
how much energy they've got as well. And uh, they can be very strong-willed. Because we want our boys to grow up to be caring, independent and respectful adults, we need to know how to nurture their nature. That's next on Parental As Anything with me, Maggie Dent. 